Hello and welcome to a brand new series where I get to try and rank every single game that came out in the 1980s by which I mean all the ones I've actually played to some degree and that I feel like I could talk about at least somewhat objectively. So let's kick off the series by talking about one of the most classic games that the entire decade had to offer in my opinion. Blitz. Blades of Steel. Thank you, Mr. Announcer Man. Yes, Blades of Steel, released in July 1988 for the Famicom Disk System, December 1988 in America, and November 1990 in Europe, since apparently publishers hated Europe and decided that they should get games several years after everyone else. Now, there are various other versions of Blades of Steel out there. There was the arcade version that came out a year earlier. There was the Game Boy version that came out a few years later, along with the home computer versions that came out around the same time. There's supposedly an LCD version of the game, which I don't have high hopes for that one. And there was an attempted revival back in the late 90s on Nintendo 64 and PlayStation, which didn't really work out. Now, Blades of Steel, like I said, I believe is one of the greatest games of its time. One of the best ice hockey games ever made. So let's start off with the presentation. Now, the graphics, I would say, are a definite step up from basically every other ice hockey game on the NES. For one thing, the ice hockey rink itself is much bigger, and that means all of the details and stuff are a lot bigger. The players are much larger, and I just find that the colours in this game are much nicer than the other games, because they dimmed the colours a little bit. Most of these games kind of have this sort of flat white colour that is basically used for most of the background, because it's an ice hockey rink. What do you expect? This game, they kind of made it sort of more like a light grey, and I think that makes it much less of an eyesore as compared to other games. As for the sound, I think the sound is also great. The soundtrack is, of course, great because it's a Konami game, so duh. But <laughs> you've also got various voice clips that play throughout the game. So now, obviously, you've got the classic. But during gameplay, you've also got various voice clips that play in certain contexts. For example, you know, whenever there's a face-off, the guy will say face-off. And every time someone makes a pass, the game goes, hurt the purse. I'm not entirely sure what he's supposed to say there. In the arcade version, he says, get the pass. And I'm guessing that's why he's meant to be saying here, but it's a bit hard to tell because, in case you haven't noticed, the voices are a little bit muffled. And there were more voice clips in the arcade version that were cut from the NES version, but that's to be expected. I mean, voice commentary in general was a rarity on the NES, so it's nice that it's here at all. It's also worth noting that the Famicom Disk System version did not have the voice clips. So, yeah, if you're going to play this game, I would say go for the cartridge version. Now, the controls are also a point worth bringing up because, much like most ice hockey games for the time, they're simple, but they're done very well. The controls are largely pretty tight. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of slipperiness there because it's an ice hockey game, you're playing on ice, you're going to slide around. But, <laughs> the passing is quite nice, it generally passes to the player nearest to you, and... Most of the time I find it passes to the player that you want to, though there are occasions where I find it will pass to the player that's closest to you, that, but you want to pass to someone else, and you end up getting intercepted, and obviously that's a bit of a problem. I do wish that this game had some kind of indicator to tell you who you're going to pass to, but it's not a big deal. Now the A button you of course use to shoot, and in defense you use it to instigate fights or try to knock over the player that's got the puck or try to knock over the other player. Now, the fights are also quite interesting because the game kind of switches to this sort of urban champion-style gameplay mode. It kind of plays like urban champion for the most part, though the controls are different because you use the B button to punch and the A button to block, and you use up and down to aim high and low, just like an urban champion, though I find that there's no real incentive to block. 
like the, the only strategy I could really get to work is to just mash the B button and just and hope that the AI doesn't block everything. That's what I did anyway. I must say this though, the penalty shootouts in this game are a bit weird because instead of moving towards the goaltender and pressing the shoot button, in this game the player just stands there and shoots like an association football. I don't know why they did it like that. Maybe it was memory limitations. They couldn't really animate the players moving towards the goal. I don't know. It's just kind of an oddity that I thought was worth pointing out. Now, as far as game modes go, this is somewhat limited because you only have an exhibition mode and a knockout tournament system, and that's it. That said, it is a step up from Konami's previous sports game, which was Double Dribble, where you only had the single game mode. You couldn't do tournaments or anything like that. And whether you won or lost, that was it. So, at the very least, Blade of Steel is a step up from that. And you also have twice as many teams, because in Double Dribble, you only had four teams, and you can only select three of them for some reason in single-player mode, which didn't make any sense. Though, there is one area where this kind of falls down in comparison. I believe in Double Dribble, the teams all had different stats. The game never makes that clear at any point, but from my experience, the teams did play a little bit differently. And in Blades of Steel, the teams are all exactly the same. The only difference is the color palette, so... Eh... Call that a negative if you want. I do think it does hurt the game slightly because I like when the teams play a little bit differently to each other. That said, the gameplay itself is excellent. It's nice and fast-paced. And there's various different strategies that you can use to work. The one that I found was most effective was to kind of just shoot from close range when I'm in offense and when I'm in defense or defense or whatever you want to call it. I tended to just try to intercept the passes if I could. And if I couldn't intercept the passes, I would just play as the goaltender. I was about to say goalkeeper, because, you know, I'm British and I'm used to football. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I tended to just switch the goaltender and try to save the passes. What's kind of interesting is that you kind of control the goalie as well as one of the other players. Of course, Ice Hockey for the NES did the same thing, so I guess that's not too surprising. I personally like it too, because it means I don't have to switch between one of the players and the goaltender. It kind of saves me the hassle of doing that. And I find that the game is quite a nice difficulty too. Now, the game has three difficulties. Junior mode I find is very easy, and I find it's really only worth playing to practice the game. You know, once you know what you're doing, there's no real point in playing it. You might as well just switch up to college level. College level, again, I would say is a, maybe a bit on the easy side. You know, I played through the game on college recently, and I didn't really struggle with it all that much. However, pro mode is no joke, and I've never been able to beat the game on it. The AI is vicious on pro modes. They're a lot more aggressive. The fights, from my experience, are nearly impossible. And I was never able to get very far into it. Having said all of that, I think that this game is excellent. It's the best ice hockey game on the NES. And possibly one of the best ice hockey games for any system. I mean, this competes with the likes of, you know, ice hockey and NHL for the Mega Drive. And it is naturally an early frontrunner for the list. Of course, it also happens to be the worst game as of right now, but that's going to change pretty quickly. And so let's move on to the sort of middle-of-the-road game, the one that I thought was pretty good, but not that great, B-Wings. B-Wings, for those who don't know, was a shoot-em-up made by Data East in 1984, and it was originally released for arcades, and in 1986 they would release a version for the Famicom, but it is a fair bit different to the arcade version. And this, like most Data East games for the Famicom and NES, was actually made by SAS Sakata, or SAS Sakata, or how you pronounce it, I don't know. This, I would say, was one of the first games they did that was any good, because keep in mind, the games they did before this, that I can remember, were Tag Team Wrestling, which was terrible, 
and Burger Time, which is good, but I found that the NES version of that was a bit lacking. There were better versions for other systems, I think. B-Wings is a vertical scrolling shooter where you had about a dozen different weapons that you could collect throughout the game. But this game changes it up a bit by essentially giving you the option of picking any of the weapons at the start of the game. In fact, the game has this kind of strange mechanic where you can pick the weapon to start with, but only on certain levels. Like every, I don't know, third or fourth level, generally, you can pick a different weapon. But most of the time when you die in this game, you're stuck with just kind of the default weapon. Now, the game itself is pretty standard fare as far as shooters go. The controls are pretty standard for the most part. Though it is worth noting that you use the A button to shoot in this game and not the B button, which is pretty interesting. Though it's also kind of annoying because the B button in this game is used to basically duck behind the foreground objects. So if you want to duck behind an enemy or a foreground object or whatever, you press the B button. The problem with this, first off, you can't cancel out of it. And secondly, if you have a weapon equipped, you lose that weapon, which is kind of annoying. The weapon itself also acts as an extra hit, I should point out, which makes it especially annoying if you hit the B button by accident. Now, the weapons themselves, I find, vary in terms of effectiveness. Some of them are pretty good. I would say that my favourite is the hammer, because not only does it fire all the way from one end of the screen to the other, it also gives you kind of a shield that circles around you the whole time. Even if you lose the hammer, you still keep the shield for the rest of the level, or until you die, whichever comes first. None of the other weapons give you any shield, so that's the one I would recommend playing as a lot of the time. Though, the other weapons do have their uses, some of them are more effective for certain bosses. In fact, there's a couple of bosses where you essentially need a specific weapon to beat it. Now, they do try to sort of lead you towards using the correct weapon for each boss by giving you the weapon that they suggest to use before the boss. And like I said, there's a couple of bosses where you need that specific weapon to beat it. What's kind of annoying is that it's pretty hard to actually get these weapon pickups in the first place, especially if you don't have a weapon already equipped. Because the default pea shooter is not great. It has very little range, and you move pretty slow moving horizontally, which means that... If the weapon is kind of off to one of the sides of the screen, it's kind of hard to actually get it. And so I do say off to the sides because the screen kind of wraps around, meaning that you're always going to be in the center. As for the gameplay itself, it's pretty rudimentary for the most part. Like I said, you can duck behind the foreground objects, but you can also shoot most of them down. And very rarely do you actually need to use the duck mechanic to get for any situation. There's really only a couple of bosses where it really helps. And for the rest of the game, as long as you're constantly shooting at the foreground objects, you'll be fine. Now, of course, some enemies will make a beeline towards you, or just fly in sort of awkward, irregular patterns, which may throw you off the first time you play it. But it's not like Silver Surfer level bad or anything like that. Once you've played the game a couple of times, you can get used to the enemy patterns pretty easily. Though what's more interesting to me is the boss fights, because in a rarity for this era of game, the boss fights are actually pretty varied. Now, granted, most of them look pretty similar. They're just kind of these giant mechanical blobs, and you've got kind of a weak point somewhere on them, and you have to shoot through various other weak points to get to the main weak point that lets you beat the boss. That said, there are exceptions. There's one boss which looks like a spider. There's another one which is quite obviously a cat, <laughs> which is a bit out of place given the kind of man-made sort of mechanical feel of the rest of the game, to have you just suddenly fight a cat in the middle of it is pretty interesting. But then again, it is a Data East game, and Data East games are generally pretty weird. 
In fact, I'd say this is one of the most normal Data East games I can think of offhand. This ain't got nothing on Trio the Punch, I'll just say that much. One of my favourite things about this game, aside from sort of the weird bosses that just kind of show up sporadically throughout the game, I quite like the difficulty curve as well. The game is pretty hard, but it's not insanely so. I'd say it's easier than the majority of the shooters on the NES, in that I was actually able to complete it. Now, this game is pretty long, it has 30 levels, and every level has a boss fight, but they do give you infinite continues. It reminds me most of all of 1942 for the NES, but with better programming, and I guess just kind of more enemy types and that sort of thing. And so for those reasons, I would rate it above that game. I would also rate it above that game for the music, which is a lot better. It's not just a bunch of beeps. You do have a couple of actual tunes in there. It kind of follows the Star Force principle of you've got one tune for when you've got a power-up, and you've got a different tune when you don't have a power-up, and that's about it. I'm not going to dock it places for that. If anything, my big complaint with the game is the fact that it's one of those shoot-em-ups where you can't hold down the button to fire. You have to mash the button, and I hate when games do that, and they make you fire constantly to get anywhere in them. And a lot of shooters on the NES did that, including this game, and including like the arcade version of Truxton and various other games, and I hate when they do that. Like, there's some games where I don't mind it, like Super Mario Brothers, or other various games like that, where you don't have to shoot most of the time. There's only certain cases where it really helps. But this game, you're going to be shooting a lot, and if you really want to play this game, I would recommend playing a turbo controller. Aside from that, I don't really have much gripe of this game. It's entirely decent. There's not that much standard qualities, and sort of by this point, there were definitely games coming out that had better presentation, like Gradius and Twinbee, that were making use of more graphics, and just had just a lot more going on in terms of graphical detail. I mean, the game doesn't look great, but it looks okay. The sound is good. Controls, aside from the fact that you have to mash the button, are okay. The gameplay is a decent challenge without being too tough, and it does take a decent amount of time to complete. So, overall I'd say this game is perfectly fine. It's not great, but I do like it. Which is more than I can say for the last game today, Bird Week. Yes, released on the same day as B-Wings, I assure you the fact that I picked both of these games was not intentional. And let me tell you, if you had to pick either of these games, definitely go with B-Wings, because Bird Week is not a very good game. It's not one of the worst games I've ever played in my life, but I do think it sets a good benchmark for the low end of the list, shall we say. So, I actually checked up the Wikipedia article, just out of curiosity, and they kind of described this game as a life simulation. I'm not sure if it really counts. It's more like, I guess, kind of the idea of one of those games, but adapted as kind of a Golden Era-style arcade game. Now, that might actually sound pretty interesting, but let me assure you, the idea is a lot better than the game itself, because, okay, so the whole idea of this game is you play as a bird, and you have to catch butterflies and feed them to your chicks. And that's it. That's the whole game. Now, that in and of itself doesn't make the game bad. You can make something like that interesting with the right people on board. I don't think this game had the right people on board, because this game was made by Lenar and published by Toshiba EMI. Now, Toshiba EMI, prior to this game, had published Hydlide for the Famicom, which I don't think is quite as bad as its reputation warrants, but it's still not that great of a game. And Lenar, they would go on to make Deadly Towers the same year, 
And uh, yeah, if you know anything about Deadly Towers, you know not to expect much from this game. Now the thing about Bird Week, okay, first off, the controls are very basic. Because you don't use the buttons, you only use the D-pad. Which, again, isn't bad. Now, as you fly around in the game, you kind of descend downwards towards the ground gradually. Now, you can prevent this by holding forward. And, of course, if you press backwards, you're flying that direction because the game does scroll left and right. You can also fly upwards and downwards. Though, you kind of fly sort of... Here's the thing. You kind of fly forwards as you fly up and down. I kind of see what they were going for. I don't know, there's been a couple of times where it has thrown me off. And it's a little bit annoying that this game does not respond to diagonal commands. You know, if you press up and right, you're not going to go any faster than you would just by pressing up. Which is kind of annoying to me. Now, as you're trying to catch the butterflies and feed them to your chicks, there's various wildlife that are basically trying to stop you from doing this. Including an eagle that kind of flies around in Mindstone business and is very easy to avoid. Might as well not even be there. Moles, which will kind of jump out the ground to try and attack you. Pretty easy to dodge. The only way you're really going to die to them is if either you're risking trying to catch a butterfly by flying closer to the ground. Or if you let go forward and you get caught out by flying closer to the ground. That's about it. There's various other enemies that show up like woodpeckers and bees and whatever. And those are more annoying to deal with. But yeah, the early stages of the game I find to be a little bit too easy. Especially... For sort of a Golden Era style arcade game. I think they could have stood to have one or two more enemies try to stop you. I don't know. But yeah the game kind of starts off a bit slow. And a little bit boring. And honestly I tend to lose interest before I get even get to the later levels. Which is not a good thing. I find that this is also one of those games where. Every time they introduce an enemy, they tend to be a lot more annoying to deal with than the ones that have already been established. So, for instance, the moles are far more annoying to deal with than the eagles, because, like I said, the eagle barely does anything. And, you know, the bees and the, the woodpeckers, they're a lot more annoying to deal with, too. So, yeah, the, the difficulty kind of ramps up. It kind of reminds me of Binary Land in that sense. Maybe not quite as problematic in a certain sense, but at the same time... That game I also found to be a lot more fun to play, so yeah, <laughs> make of that what you will. There's also the occasional bonus round where you have to collect apples and eh, I mean it's just there. It kind of breaks up the monotony a little bit, but that's about it. And actually that's kind of the big problem with the game, it's just a little too monotonous for this kind of game. Because you have two birds on every level that you have to feed... The amount of birds, from what I remember, does not increase. The only factor that really changes throughout the game is the enemies. And, you know, there's no real changes in level design or anything like that. In fact, the level design is almost non-existent, because you've only got the branches that you can land on. And that's it. Everything else is just part of the background, and you can just fly through it. I don't know, this maybe could have worked as kind of a game to zone out with... But that doesn't work either, at least not for me. And I'll get into why that is in a bit... Now, the presentation for this game is, well, the, the graphics aren't bad for the most part. The backgrounds are a little bit bland, even for the time, I think. Especially the sort of mountains that appear, which are kind of rendered out of kind of triangular shapes more than anything. I, I look at that and I think F1 Race did mountains better, and that came out two years earlier. But aside from that, it doesn't look bad. You can easily identify what the different animals are, which is good. And aside from... The ground on certain levels looking more like desert than grass. The fact that they change the palette every now and then, that is a positive. 
But a huge negative with this game, and I think one of my biggest complaints with it, is the sound. The music in this game is terrible. Just it, it, I really can't stand to listen to it for more than a few seconds. Because it's very shrill. Okay, let me explain this. The sound driver for this game is very primitive. If you've ever played Deadly Towers and kind of, you know, recognize what the sound in that game is like, where the sounds are very shrill and annoying to listen to half the time, this is kind of the same way, but I would argue this is worse because I just find that the sound of this game, much like Deadly Towers, is very melancholic. It's just got these sort of minor key tunes, and I just, I don't like it. If they were going to do a game like this, they really should have had more upbeat tunes, or maybe just kind of more ambient noise, to try and get you into the zone for the game. The sound that they went with, it does not work. I do not like this game. I don't like it at all. I kind of, like I said, I like the concept, but I don't like the game itself. And for that reason, it's going to set the benchmark for the lower end of this list. But anyway... I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and I will no doubt be back in the near future with more episodes of classic and not-so-classic games to come. So, until next time, I will see you later, people. See you.